Good morning. We are grateful that you are with us this morning. Um, Whether you're here with us in person this morning or joining us online or listening to this on a Monday morning or sometime this week, we are grateful that you are with us. Uh, Attention and presence, two of the most precious commodities in our world today. Uh, So thank you for pressing pause and joining us this morning. So one of the things that I, I like to do is I like to listen to podcasts. Uh, and I'm, I'm weird. I'm a minister. I like to listen to sermons. Uh, and so there's usually on Monday morning, there's uh, a guy that preaches at a church. And I, I really, I like um, his style. He, he brings it every time. Uh, he tells good stories. He's easy to listen to. And so most weeks on Monday morning, uh, at the gym, trying to wake up, get the week going, get through a workout, uh, that's what I, I listen to. I go, I, I queue up, go to their church's uh, podcast and queue it up and listen to that. So this past Monday morning, uh, I'm at the gym, trying to wake up, trying to get going, and uh, download the sermon from the day earlier, start listening to it, and pretty quickly realize that the person I'm listening to is not who I am usually listening to. It's somebody different. So I I listen to see who is this that's talking this week, and and he kind of goes through his introductions, and then he introduces himself and and says that he is a middle school minister at that church. And so I just instinctively, I just kind of flip over and, and find something else to listen to and finish my workout. And then later in the day on Monday, I'm working on the sermon for today. And it hits me, I am that middle school minister. I just did to that guy what some of you may do this morning. Like, what? I, or you may be listening to this on Monday morning. You're like, I, I want to listen to Brian. So I get it. I get it. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to be with you this morning. I want to start off this morning by giving you two stories. Um, and they're two stories that I have found myself in quite a bit this last year. Uh, and oftentimes still do find myself in, find myself in. Uh, and I, I want to paint these two stories, tell these two stories uh, to give us something to think about and think through. So the first story goes like this. A couple weeks ago, I was driving around listening to a podcast, and there was a guy named John Eldridge who was talking. Uh, a, lot of you, a lot of you know John. He's an author, but he's also a therapist. And John was kind of talking from, uh, had his therapist hat on and was talking in that vein. And John said, He said, this past year, he said, we have just experienced a global trauma. And he said, it has been really, really hard on lots and lots of people. And he he said, we just don't, a lot of us, we just don't have anything in the reserve tank. Like, we we have done the best that we can. We, We have really given a lot of effort. We've done the best that we can to raise our family. We've done the best that we can to make it through an election season. We've done the best that we can to have really hard conversations about social issues, and we just don't have anything left in the tank. And he said one of the questions that he asked people more and more is, at what point in the day are you done? Like, when are you just worn out and done? And he says over and over, people tell him something like this, like, I used to be a night person, now I am worn out in bed by 9 p.m. Or I used to be able to make it through the whole day. Now by the time I get to dinner with my kids, I'm done. 
Or, or I used to be able to make it through a whole work day or a whole school day, and now by two or three in the afternoon, I'm done. And he says, we just don't have anything left in the reserve tank. So what's the solution? What's the answer? What do we do? What do we need? Is it a long overdue vacation? Is it a long weekend? Is it just numbing ourselves and forgetting about everything? What's the answer? What do we need? Story number two goes like this. Uh, Maybe you're driving home, you're listening to your favorite news station or favorite podcast. Maybe you're sitting at home in your recliner uh, watching your favorite news station or reading on your favorite news site. And you begin to get angry. Your blood begins to boil. You can feel your heart rate begin to race. As a person you're listening to or what you're seeing begins to talk about all the problems in our world, all that is wrong with this group of people or this tribe or that party, and you just begin to get more and more and more frustrated. And as you get more and more frustrated, you just think, like, I can't do this anymore. I just, I can't be with that idea or that group or that tribe. I just, I just can't do it anymore. What's the answer? What do we need? What do we turn to? Is the answer to yell louder? Is the answer to pay attention more and more so we don't miss anything, so we can always be right? Is the answer to cut off everyone who doesn't think the way that we think? What is the answer? What do we need? I have become convinced more and more over this last year that the answer to both of these stories is one and the same. And I want to dive into that this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Luke. Um, A warning, most of the time we kind of camp out in a text. This morning we're going to be looking at a Quite a few different texts. We're going to be moving around. Uh, So if you want, you can follow along up here. But Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 is where we're going to start off this morning. As you're turning there, a couple things. First, remember to pay attention to the patterns and the repetitions that we see in the Bible. So as you're reading, quite often you will see an author say the same thing over and over again. Or you will see Jesus do the same thing over and over again. Pay attention to that. Uh, the, the author is not making a mistake when he's repeating himself. Jesus is not stuck in a rut doing the same thing over and over again. He's doing it on purpose. Pay attention to that. And second thing, pay attention to what, what I call the somewhat throwaway sentences that, that just you know, seem like they're just kind of filler. Filler. Pay attention to those. The, the sentences at the beginning of the chapter or at the end of a story or the beginning of a parable, pay attention to those. So in Luke chapter 5, Jesus' ministry has just started. He's doing his first miracles. He's calling the first disciples. He's beginning to get some momentum. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, we read this. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Look at the next chapter, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Jesus has just finished having a hard conversation with the teachers and the Pharisees of the law. In fact, verse 4, it says, the Pharisees are trying to discuss among each other what they might do to Jesus. When people are discussing, when a group of people is discussing what they're going to do to you, it's not a good place to be. And look at verse 12. One of those days Jesus went out 
to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. Flip over to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 28. Again, Jesus' ministry is continuing to grow. He's just fed the 5,000. He is teaching and equipping the disciples to take over his ministry. And in verse 28, Luke chapter 9, verse 28, we read this. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountainside to pray. He takes three disciples on a mountain to pray. This is the story of the transfiguration. We're not going to get into that this morning. But I want you to, what I want you to see is this pattern that we see throughout the life of Jesus of retreating, withdrawing to quiet, lonely places and praying. Why is this a priority in Jesus' life? He has things to do. Why is this a value to Jesus? Why is he continually withdrawing and praying? What's going on? Flip back to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. I think there are quite a few reasons why prayer is a priority for Jesus. We're not going to get into all of those this morning, but I want to focus on one. One reason this morning. Let's look at this. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Look closely at Luke's account of this text. When is heaven open? When is it that God speaks? Is it when he's baptized? Jesus is baptized along with a large group of other people. Luke's account, though, says that heaven is open and God speaks as Jesus was praying. Why am I saying this? Because I believe that prayer was about intimacy for Jesus. That prayer was the place where Jesus heard his father say, You are my son whom I love With you, I am well pleased. Prayer was less about requests and wishes for Jesus as it was about intimacy and identity and love. Why does Jesus often withdraw to lonely places and pray? So he can be with his Father, hear his Father, and connect with his Father. I love what Brendan Manning says. He says, Jesus experienced God as tender and loving, courteous, and kind, compassionate, and forgiving, as laughter of the morning, and comfort of the night. This is how Jesus experienced God, and it is how we can experience God. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So one of the things um, that we talk about Paul a lot. We talk about his missionary journeys. We talk about his letters. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. But one of the things we don't talk about a lot when it comes to Paul is the intimacy that I believe Paul had with God. Paul knew that because of Jesus, because of the Spirit, intimacy with God was available. Let's look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul says this. 
For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 164 times in Paul's writing, Paul will say, in Christ. In Christ. Paul knows that there is an intimacy with the Father that is available to us in Christ. That prayer is about intimacy. I love Peter Van Bremen says this, Many devout Muslims, Buddhists, and Hinduists are generous and sincere in their search for God. Many have had profound mystical experiences, yet in spite of their immeasurable spiritual death, they seldom or never come to know God as their Father. Indeed, intimacy with Abba is one of the greatest treasures that Jesus has brought us. In any other great religion, it is unthinkable to address the Almighty God as Abba, Father. Jesus knew deeply intimacy with God. I believe this is what sustained him. When the Pharisees and the teachers of the law early in his ministry are trying to figure out what are we going to do with this guy? He often withdraws to lonely places and prays because intimacy with God sustains him. When, when Jesus later in his life, when the disciples don't get it, when he is being betrayed, when the disciples are falling asleep in the garden after he told them not to fall asleep in the garden, prayer sustains Jesus. He withdraws to lonely places. Hears God say, this is my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Brendan Manning also says this, the Abba experience is the source and secret of Christ's being. His message and his manner of life. It can be appreciated only by those who share it. Until we meet the Father of Jesus ourselves and experience him to be a loving, forgiving daddy, it is impossible to understand Jesus' teaching on love. In order to comprehend his relentless tenderness and passionate love for us, we must always return to his Abba or Abba experience. Jesus had a level of intimacy with God that no other human being before him had had. And Paul says that is available to us today. I love that we sing no longer slaves. That because of the grace of God, we are no longer slaves, but we are in fact sons and daughters of God who are invited into intimacy with God. So think of the two stories that I talked about earlier. What do we do when we just can't go on any longer? When we don't have any more patience or love to give, when we feel done, what do we do? What do we do with that group of people or that idea or that party? What do we do when we just feel like we can't go on anymore? We withdraw to lonely places and pray. And we allow God to fill up our empty reserve tanks with his love that can only come from him. So that we have something to give. One last text. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 verse 9. We read 9 through 18. Remember, Paul 
new intimacy with God. He knew about letting God fill up your reserve tank so that you can love others. So Paul knew the love of God, so therefore he knew what it looked like to love other people. And listen to what he says, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. One of the things many of you probably know about me, if you know me well at all, is I love to win. I love to win. Whether it is board games or our family bracket challenge or nine square down there with our students, I love to win. Um, side note, this, is, this was convicting to me. Friday night, I'm playing board games with my wife and brother-in-law. I have to apologize to my brother-in-law for how I acted in a board game. It's a true story. I love to win. So Monday night we're at our house uh, and our seven-year-old challenges my wife and I to a game of wiffle ball against him and his five-year-old brother. And so instantly it's on. So if you would have driven by our house on Monday night at 7.30, you would have seen me making some plays. I was flying around. I was, I was snagging line drives. I was making double plays. I was fielding grounders and sprinting to first to beat my five-year-old to the back. We won the game in extra innings. My wife only had to tell me to calm down one time. It was good. But here's why I'm telling you this. When, it's, it's, when, I, when it is a somewhat friendly game of wiffle ball with our boys, I think it's okay to be competitive. I think winning is fine. But as I look at the life of Jesus, as I look at what Paul says in Romans 12, when it comes to people, when it comes to our neighbors, the goal is to love, not win. And I'm afraid that we have lost our way a bit. Too often Christians are more concerned with winning than loving. Too often, Christians are more concerned with winning rather than loving. And winning is rarely, if ever, loving. And that's a tough pill for me to swallow. So over this last year, as I have found myself arguing with the wall, or if I found myself just being done, what do we need? It is to be with God and give his grace to others. See, if God has given his grace and love to us who do not deserve it, then we are called to give his grace and love to those who do not deserve it. So one of the things I tell 
the adults that I work with in our student ministry, I tell often as I say, ask good questions. A good question is better than a good answer. And this is from Jesus. This is what Jesus did over and over and over. People would come to Jesus, they would ask him these really hard questions. And he would respond with a question. People would come to Jesus, they'd give him this really hard situation. And he would respond with a question. And so what I want to do, how I want to finish this morning in the way of Jesus, is to just let this text ask us some questions. Um, So let's walk through this. Here were the questions that came to me this week. Love must be sincere, verse 9. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Do you love those who disagree with you through your actions and deeds or in word only? Is your love for your neighbors sincere? Do you use the same words and tactics as your opponents or do you refuse to say anything evil about them? Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. What are you devoted to? What is more important to you, defending your honor or honoring others? Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Do your actions back up your beliefs? Are you spending your days serving the Lord? Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. What is greater, your hope or your despair? Do you spend more time praying or despairing? Verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. When was the last time you shared something of value with those who are in need? When was the last time you practiced hospitality? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do you pray blessings over those who do not agree with you? Do you talk bad about those who do not agree with you? Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Do the emotions of others affect you? Does the pain of others bother you? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do you find yourself fighting with those in your life or living at peace with them? Are you okay with not being noticed? Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Do you treat those well who do not deserve to be treated well? Then verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Have you done all that you can to live in peace with those who are different than you? A year ago, we were in the midst of couch church. Everyone was at home doing church at home. And one of the things that we learned from that is it's a whole lot easier to continue the conversation of what happens in here when you're just sitting on your couch. It's really hard to keep it going. We get done here and then we got to go eat and then we got things going on. There's lots going on. And so one of the practices that we have tried to do is to give you questions to help continue that conversation. Um, those questions that I just asked, they're in the bulletin this week. The bulletin's also online. You can get it online. I would encourage you to keep the conversation going. To ask, like, what, what's the most convicting or challenging question in there? What question do you disagree with? What question convicts you the most? Uh, maybe this week journal through that. There will be a lot more fruit from that than just sitting here and listening. Get into those questions. Okay, if I could, at this time, I want to ask our elders and ministers 
they would, to make their way to the places around their church. And I want to end with this. Soren Kierkegaard, he says, there are two types of Christians. There are those who are content to speak about Jesus, and there are those who seek to imitate Jesus. Brendan Manning says it like this. He says, there are picture Christians and there are drama Christians. Picture Christians see Jesus like a work of art or a piece of artwork. They're content to just sit and look. Drama Christians are those who refuse to be spectators, but are participants and put themselves in the play. There's no faking this. We are called to imitate Jesus. And we cannot do that unless we withdraw to lonely places and pray and allow him to fill us up with his love so that we then have something to give to this world that desperately needs us. We all know you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you do not have. And so we desperately need to let God fill us up with his love. To say, you are my son and daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So that we can then give that love to others. Brendan Manning sums it all up like this. He says, Jesus loves us as we are and not as we should be. Since none of us is as we should be. This week. Hear these words that Jesus loves you as you are, not as you should be. Drink that in deeply this week. And then go love others since none of us is as we should be. Let's stand and sing.